Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Seaspire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 406, and today we'll be talking about Snow Day and Cracking Mrs. Croker from Amphibia. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So David, I would like to direct your attention to the file I have just uploaded. The cicadas that I called attention to last week, outside of my window, were unfortunately too quiet to show up in the recording. So to make it up to everybody, oh no! I ran out and recorded some cicadas, and we can listen to them now. <laughs> wow! What a what a beautiful start for not having any relationship to this episode, but a generally nice. Uh, it is. The, it fits the title card. I wish we had a title card on the podcast so we could have a the same title card opening as Amphibia. <laughs> hey, you, we we got a frog that we didn't even promise. I, I had to make good on the cicadas. <laughs> I like that my wildlife noises inspired you. We need more. I mean, Amphibia actually just kind of does that, doesn't it? It's a very inspirational series. Ah, uh, so... Let's start with the first episode today. Go, uh, go a little. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> go, go a little rogue here. So we have a hibernation episode in the tradition of this show taking a lot of cues from SpongeBob. <laughs> well, thankfully, this episode wasn't very much like Survival of the Idiots, so I'll forgive them for having a hibernation <laughs> episode. At least they didn't just do chocolate with nuts again. Three times would be too many. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, uh, I'm sure this has its own trope name, like main character, like all other characters become inactive <laughs> and the main character has to do something during that time. I don't know. I can't immediately think of anything else that is like this, but it, it feels like a trope just in my innermost watch too much TV self. Anne is definitely a very irresponsible protector. Yeah, I like how they, uh, I don't remember what the Chris Pratt movie was recently that's like the, they're stuck on a spaceship and he wakes up someone else on the ship too early, but I like that that concept was also thrown in here. Not only does Anne play with all of the bodies of the town, but uh, she got Sprig in on it, but poor Sprig should not have woken up yet. Yeah, frogs, uh, we're having a bit of trouble adapting them to the cold. Yeah, I, ugh, I love all the silly logic too. Like that the frogs actually become ice cubes inexplicably because the chemistry of frogs is such that it causes the pressure around them to decrease. <laughs> Therefore, ice can form. Uh, Thankfully, they are exceptionally light. Yeah, <laughs> luckily, Anne can. I like that they threw that in so that Anne could do all these ridiculous things and nobody's questioning whether or not Anne could, you know, lift and arrange all of these frogs. So that's fun. Well, I, I mean... They could have just said it was Ultra Instinct Anne anyway, so... Yeah. It was, just a, it was just a little fun that they tossed in there. Now, I don't know what it is, but Amphibia is usually pretty good about sneaking their Chekhov's guns past me. Ooh, but the omelets took your notice this time? N no, the omelets I did not notice at all, but in my defense, like, when she leaves the, the place, they, for one, they make a point of hurrying her up before she's done, you know, divvying up her omelet, and then second she leaves the place without her backpack. We don't see her get her backpack until uh, right after the, like, oh no, Polly's uh, been taken, and she's been, you know, we have to go look for her. 
And then she has her backpack. Yeah, I mean, also, how did Anne get back her phone after she dropped it in the lake? I recently rewatched that episode, and, you know, she never does <laughs> on screen. Objects, you know, again, Anne always has a tennis racket on her, so she has hammer space. <laughs> I mean, it is her signature weapon, so. Yeah, it's just, she seems to carry lots of things on her that she inexplicably shouldn't be able to. And also the omelet that, for for one, she's divvying out individual ingredients of the omelet to the little weasel thing. Well, big weasel thing. But when she slides it over, it's a, an entire omelet, unbroken, and then also it is steaming. So maybe she made a fresh omelet for herself uh, <laughs> before going to look for Polly. I'll, I'll give this episode some credit, though. There is some consistency going on here. Uh, Sprig mimics a realistic siren noise. And that was amazing, actually. This is something Sprig, like, this is a consistent trait in the future. So look out for Sprig's remarkable vocal abilities in the future. All right, I will have my ears peeled for that. But, uh, I mean, it'll it'll be like the focus of an episode in the future, or at least a prominent solution. Oh, well, that with a talent like that. Yeah, man, I was I was expecting something much more dark and sinister. About their, uh, you know, always losing somebody. Okay, that's a, <laughs> it's a big claim that the town makes, right? Like, every single year someone dies, and it's at the hands of this, you know, it's not a uh, an ambiguous shadow that we never meet. I mean, we see it as a real, horrible ferret creature that has apparently had its mouth covered in the blood of frogs. Just not any frogs we've gotten to know and love because Anne, you know, showed up past the last winter. So that's terrible. <laughs> that's truly dark. And it's not permanently solved either. Like, if Anne ever leaves this world permanently, what's happening to the town of Amphibia? They need a human watcher. Well, hopefully they will leave an offering of omelets to the creature and it will take that and leave them alone. I'm kind of concerned. They actually didn't end the episode with that, though. Like. Oh, Anne teaches the townspeople how to deal with this thing in the future. It is very temporarily solved. I am concerned. We we can we can only hope that uh, that they they went through that education off screen. Omelets are a very important thing to have in your repertoire, anyway. <laughs> I love what foods do exist in this world that are close to the human world. Like they do have eggs and vegetables, so Anne can at least enjoy this one thing. It's very nice. This. Um, has she eaten meals without bugs at this point in the season? Uh, hmm. Did we already make the, did she already try making pizza? Was that? Oh, that was early. Yeah. So that, that didn't have insects in it. <laughs> but, you no, know, but with the, I expected there to be some like sinister, some like intelligent force behind this. Like we're going to cause the temperature to drop and then we're going to grab a frog. Uh, it was only when Toadstool was worried that I'm like, okay, so we can scratch the toads off of the suspects list. <laughs> I mean, who who would have figured it would be one of the many, many monsters lurking in the forest? Yeah, who would have guessed? Well, their world's full of them. They, uh, they apparently experience a pretty consistent climate, except for this, you know, one dip, which is this, is this winter? I mean, Anne has to wait for, um... The, the past to thaw out. Right. Around. So it makes sense that we're going through winter. But, you know, I'm pretty used to cartoons not being that consistent with, with seasons. Steven Universe 
always threw in a winter episode or two, but it, it never felt quite aligned on like the correct passage of time occurring, aligning with like the correct yeah, number of yeah. seasonal oh, episodes. And we tr- we tried, we tried to force Steven into a calendar, and it just doesn't really work. Well, because we got spoiled by like, Avatar, you know. I mean, these shows like Avatar take place in a specific time frame of you know a year or months, and like Amphibia will will reference like and I'll say I've been here three weeks or it's been a whole month or you know they'll they'll keep referencing months so you know they have a specific timeline in mind but it makes sense that the town doesn't reflect the passage of time all that much because of you know maybe where they are located in their weird globe also I don't know if amphibia (laughs) is the entire planet is it just the continent are there other continents it's got a kind of game of thrones problem where it's like well not problem but turtles all the way down David yeah, I don't, uh, like, I have no idea what the scope of their continent is. Yeah, I don't know. I think Anne did pretty well until uh, Sprig busted out the phone. <laughs> yeah, she almost got away with it, too, if it were, wasn't for that meddling pink frog. Meddling kid. Now, uh, Sprig, uh, Sprig being a meddling kid is, is a good one to, to segue into Sadie's episode. The one in which Sprig tries to please everyone, but can please... No one. Ah, Cracking Mrs. Crooker, that's the title, yes. I couldn't remember what verb we were doing to the poor lady. <laughs> and well, not not just a poor old lady, though. This episode was tough for me, because it's like, okay, so all of a sudden Sprig is just Mr. Super Popular all of a sudden, and Polly's like, yeah, everyone loves him. And it's like, really? When did this happen? I mean... Besides the first episode, first and second episode where the townspeople are skeptical of Anne, they're never skeptical of her again, and then later they have an episode where they say, oh yeah, don't forget, like, people hate Anne, she needs to prove herself. And it it felt similar to this premise, where it's like, hey, the whole time, you know, Sprig's the town favorite. And this is like right after Sprig irritated everybody by breaking their stuff. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those premises that get written, and then whenever an episode order starts being formulated, you know, it it doesn't quite make sense. It'd be better if it was an earlier episode. (laughs) Except, you know, you can't reveal that about Mrs. Croker that early in the season, so it has to be a later episode. Yeah, well, reveal. Not much is revealed. Like, she has some backstory. This other frog references a guild. I, I checked for sanity. The Amphibia Wiki doesn't mention any guild <laughs> ever again like this uh, there's no depth to this story except that just the hilarity i mean you're supposed to understand that they were both assassins and i mean things go wild things go wrong in assassins guilds all the time in fiction so we may not know the details but we know enough about how fiction works to fill in the blanks yeah so funny that this <laughs> that this character is even fleshed out this much in the town this this will be like uh, Heinrich and Abigail in Kids Next Door had their incident in Guatemala, or how in Penguins of Madagascar, Skipper had the Denmark incident. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if this or oh no, this frog gets a name Jonah. Um, yep. Yeah, Jonah. It doesn't come back. I mean, <laughs> none of it. Matters. I mean, he's probably going to starve to death on Sadie's wall there. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, what even happens to him there? Like, what does she do with him afterwards? She can feed him to Archie. That's horrible. 
<laughs> not the first death sprig has caused in the show, and maybe not the last. Oh well. Yeah. Well, at least Sadie doesn't have to look over her shoulder for him anymore. Yeah. This is a hey kids learn a lesson. This is definitely a lesson I remember like my parents trying to tell me as a child, like everyone won't like you. But it's funny that the way the context in which it's presented here is Sprig learns that people can arbitrarily hate you. <laughs> just arbitrarily, yeah. like not even for a reason, which is which I is actually very applicable like to children. Like children probably it's like other kids are also stupid and they're Little child brain algorithms aren't really developed yet, and they're like, I don't like you because, I don't know, I also don't like pepperonis on my pizza, you know? I just, <laughs> it doesn't make that much sense. So that's, it's it's nice that there isn't really any, any depth to it. Uh, but she is just an old lady. Some old ladies might hate you too, you know? Yeah, I mean, if I used to look like that, and then I looked like she does now, I'd probably be pretty sour too. <laughs> that's right. Not the same little cutie pie. Or, you know, well, Anne pointed out that Miss Croker used to be really hot, which was uh, funny. Although apparently she's like way older than frogs normally get because a lot yeah. of remembered her being old. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she found the fountain of eternal youth, but way too late in her life. You know, keeps you at the age that you start drinking at, but can't take you any right. further back. So in other notes about humor. This episode leans on, like, I, I don't know why everyone goes to this joke in children's cartoons, but Sprague finds, you know, uh, <laughs> Kroger's sexy book, you know, by the nightstand. That's just a thing that keeps happening in shows. I don't know why. I don't yeah. think I've ever, like, outside of an actual bookstore, I, I've never even, like, known somebody to be purchasing these. So I don't know why it's like, was this a thing in the 80s or 90s? <laughs> David, they take great pains to make sure you don't see them purchase it. I know. It's just funny because, you know, Steven Universe Craig's like, oh my, Steven, read this when you're older. Like, everybody likes those making references to these romantic books, which are usually really cheesy anyways. Eh. Yeah, romance. Romance is a good word. Yeah, <laughs> it's romantic. The 16 pet <laughs> or 16 abs, you know, on the front cover are just about gentle, sweet, innocent romance. And all the all the candy in Mrs. Croker's dish has solidified together. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that in another cartoon before. I just don't know which one. I got nothing. Oh, well. I guess a little bit of truth in television never hurt anyone. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that dude had a really fast-firing crossbow. Like, <laughs> he had that thing going semi-automatic somehow, with no magazine from which to load. So, even if he had something that would pull the... Pull it back automatically. I don't know how he was getting extra bolts in there that quickly. His crossbow is one of my favorite, uh, sort of. Like, the way he reveals it immediately made me think of a standards and practice, you know, reaction to weapons. Because, like, he pulls it out and it looks like a gun. And then, like, one <laughs> second later, <laughs> you know, the actual bow flips out. And it's like, oh, it's fine. It just fires bow. Or it just fires arrows, you know, not bullets. It's just a total invention of this world, right? And that you need it to be friendly for children because apparently the violence of handheld crossbows is is acceptable. 
I mean, be fair. If he was trying to go full auto with the flintlock, it would be even more ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, what would be the amphibia equivalent of, like, what would their projectile be if they did have a gun? I don't know. But crossbow seems to be a really effective technology in this world. Uh, we will see more uh, crossbow and crossbow grapples in the future. Ooh, okay, okay. But yeah, Sadie has moves. She took care of him. She did the Jedi thing, blocking the projectiles uh, <laughs> out of their flight path. She still got it after all these years. You know, I wouldn't even be surprised if that was the same spider. It was just an incredibly long-lived species. Yeah, that makes sense. Although it could be like a cat, you know, you get one every 15 years. They could look the same. Yeah. I mean, like like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying if they revealed that, I would not be surprised. She seems to be full of them, you see. It is nice, or not nice, it's, uh, I just thought, oh, they didn't go for the trope of, like, old cat lady where you arrive and she actually has, like, 20, you know, spiders crawling around her house and her house is super creepy and covered in webs and stuff. But she has a very bland sort of house. Just a lot of pictures. Yeah. And I like how Polly and Anne are like, yeah, we're just gonna stay here and look at more pictures of her. <laughs> You know, we're not going to leave because this is creepy. We're going to, well, I mean, something he did find the pictures. It would be rude of us not to look at them. Yeah, I mean, Anne's the only one who's even pausing to think about, <laughs> you know, ethical decisions, though. Oh, yeah, Polly, Polly does not think about others. Did you see how her eyes lit up when the old people were trying to kill each other? <laughs> yeah, well, also her mission in life is to be hated. She's like, yes, yes violence right in front of my eyes yeah so yeah polly got everything she wanted and more out of that episode and th thank goodness they gave Sprague something else to think about after after that because if it hadn't been for that whole she likes me she likes me he totally would have blabbed <laughs> but Sprague only has room in his brain for one factoid at a time and the factoid he left that house with was sadie croker likes me now so nobody's going to die. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> See, having a really short attention span is really helpful sometimes. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Snow Day and Cracking Mrs. Croker. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Uh, leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.